It's time for Morning Soul Shine with Bridget, a podcast where we interview people who express their stories of triumph. I'm your host, Certified Life and Mindset Coach, Bridget Gibson. We have a very, very special guest with us tonight, and his name is Mr. Leon Walker, and he'll be with us very shortly. And I just wanted to tell you guys a little bit about him. He joined us on last night, and he was magnificent in his speech and what he had to say, and tonight is going to be even more. We're going to have even more. I'm about to bring him on now, and um, yes, we're going to bring him on. Let's see. Hello. What's up, Bridget? How you doing? I'm doing great. I was about to introduce you. Wow, I've been I've been looking at your bio here, and it's absolutely amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. It's a whole lot, and it's so. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that you were a command master. Yeah, command master chief. chief. Yeah, uh-huh. Command master chief. And oh my gosh. And first of all, I want to tell you that we really appreciate your service. And you. you, you know, you have served our country 32 years. Yeah. That's amazing. That is amazing. So from me and from all the Morning Soul Shine family, we want to tell you thank you so much for your service. You're and we and we appreciate you being here with us tonight. And you are also an author and you're a motivational speaker. And so um, I want to first start off um, just thanking you for being on the broadcast. And, you know, when you and I spoke on uh, last week, uh, we decided that, you know, a lot of your uh, talks now are relationship talks. And I remember praying about, you know, before I asked you to speak, because I am a domestic violence advocate, and I wanted to, you know, make sure that you were aware, you know, just to be full disclosure, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's what I was, where I was coming from. And when you and I spoke, you immediately said, yes, that's what I do. You know, that's, that's what I'm all about. I'm about helping people recover from toxic relationships. I'm here to talk about domestic violence. I'm here to talk about teen dating violence. You also told me that you are also a mentor for young people. And I'm just so proud to know you. I'm really proud to know you. And on tonight, we're going to go in a different direction than any of your other interviews. So I appreciate you giving me this exclusive. And so tonight we're going to actually go back. We're going to go back some ways. And we're going to talk about generational issues. And so you told me you wanted to be very transparent with us because there are so many people out there hurting. So I'm going to give you the opportunity just to jump in and just talk to us tonight. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Bridget. I appreciate it. Okay, so the first question that I have for you, what was your relationship with your mother? So my relationship with my mother is very close and it was um, very far apart at times. You know, my sister seems to think that my mother doted on me when we were kids and she just mentioned this to me the other day. (laughs) And so I thought about it and I I started doing a lot of research on my mom. I've always done research on my parents. and so I started thinking about things because I remember my my childhood, my adulthood. I remember everything. And she was right. I got a, I got away with a lot. Um, we were very close, very tight. And then, but when when the divorce started, which was in I was in the sixth grade. I was eleven years old. Uh, I, I blame my mom for our divorce, my, for my parents' divorce, not knowing what my dad had done. But going researching my parents and then reading their divorce decree, my mother considered my dad. Um, mentally abusive. And so I was always wondering why I was mentally abusive. Mental abuse, uh, it leads to many things. And it's because of many things. Um, Cheating, you know, bad communication, verbal abuse. Uh, I was never involved in any type of domestic domestic violence. And I sat on domestic violence boards for six years in the Navy. I was a a member, a board member. But, you know, reading my parents' divorce, I found that my father was mentally abusive and I became mentally abusive not even knowing why, but it stems from my dad. 
I have a lot for my dad and I have a lot for my mom, but I always blame my mom for everything. Being a little boy, I suppose young ladies will probably blame their dad for, you know, uh, if the parents get divorced. But I had mm-hmm. to do my research and found out it was part of my dad's fault too as well. And so when my mother started, when we lost our house, I was 11, I was sent to live with another lady. My mother and brother moved to a hotel and my sister was sent to live with a different lady. And so I was mad at my mother for that. I was never mad at my dad until I realized that he was part of the divorce. So he moved and then um, we moved with, I moved with the lady for about a year. Then we moved back with my mom when I was 12 in a one bedroom apartment, it was four of us. So I was sleeping on the floor from kindergarten to the seventh grade. And then because I wet the bed so much and I found out later, the reason why I wet the bed is because I was neglected and abused. I didn't know that until I was 47. So we moved back with my mom, seventh, eighth grade and sleeping on the floor again. And I uh, came home one day from junior high school and she said, hey, you guys have court tomorrow, so be ready. And I'm like, okay. But I didn't realize that she wasn't gonna show up to court. And when she didn't show up to court, my dad got custody of my sister and I, and they deemed my mother unfit. So the relationship between me and my mother started to go in different directions again. And we live with my dad and that's when I, my, I started engaging in more sex, more violence, um, stealing, you know, breaking in the house with my friends because he lived on the rough side of Cleveland. And so those things resonated with me more than love and affection and attention. So when my parents got divorced, I made my mind up to never love anybody, to not have children or get married. That was done for me. And then moving with my dad, moving to the the inner city, the deep inner city, I learned how to do things that were very dysfunctional, which added to my already being dysfunction. So I learned how to snatch purses and gamble and shoot dice. I started delving into prostitution uh, at around 15. And so the relationship with my mom started to, to, there was a gap. It's just started opening more and more. And then when she started getting high, it, it just like the relationship, it didn't end, but you know, it was, it was cemented, it was over. And so we were very close, very uh, tight, but also wasn't that close with her drug addiction. And in my mind, her thinking that she had discarded me. So a lot of things about my personality disorder started as a kid, mostly everything, the discard, the ghosting, the not wanting to love, not wanting to care, the lack of affection. So I know a lot of, well, for me as a narcissistic personality disorder person, it started my childhood. So yeah, our, my parents, my mother, relationship with my mother was very close, but also very far apart. And you shared with me that um, your mother, she did have a drug addiction and you couldn't understand, um, you know, why she was doing drugs. But later on in life, you were able to come to terms with that. Right. So what happened was um, I, I didn't realize why my mother started getting high. Just like I didn't realize why I was doing what I was doing until therapy. And then mm-hmm. I started understanding why people do what they do in life, whether it's drugs, alcohol, fighting, domestic violence. It's deeply rooted issues. Uh, it's from hurt and pain from the childhood. It's from being, you know, discarded, not caring about, kicked to the side, ignored. <clears throat> and so, from 1979 to 1982, my mother lost six people. Um, her brother, which was the male member of our family that was touching me uh, from ages 10 to 12, off and on. Um, he got murdered in 1979. He got his head blown off. He got shot in the mouth with a shotgun. That was the first person she lost. And then she lost my dad through divorce. Then she lost my sister and I through the divorce. And then she lost her father in 1982. So that's five people. And then losing her brother and her, her father, the relationship between her and her mother had started to dissipate. And so that's the sixth person she lost between 79 and 82. So when I explained that to my therapist, she said, well, what other choices did your mother have? And I was still fighting, like, she didn't have to get high. You know, I know her heart was broken. She lost her kids. She lost her husband. She lost her brother, her mother. She, my mother lost her whole family. She lost an average one person every six months for three years straight. How could anybody survive up under that? And so I was going back and forth with the therapist until like, well, she shouldn't have left me. She shouldn't have gave me away. She said, but your mom really didn't have any choice, Leon. And I started thinking about it. And I started crying. Uh, in, in January 2015, that's when I realized that my mother lost one person every six months. So what is she supposed to do? People under that type of hurt and pain, you can barely work. You can barely, you know, show anybody love, okay? You can, all you can do is look for clarity, look for awareness, look for something to relieve your pain. And for her, it was crack c- cocaine. 
So it mastered pain. It took her out of reality and she didn't have to worry about anybody or anything. Everybody was already gone. I was in the military, so she didn't see me. She didn't have to hear me say, mom, I miss you. I love you because I was gone. I was deploying. Mm -hmm. So um, in therapy, I learned that, you know, my mother had an alternate means of coping. And so I too had developed an alternate means of coping with hurt, with pain and not wanting to love. And that paid into my narcissistic personality disorder. I didn't realize these things. I was taken after my mother. I took a lot after my dad too, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. My parents were great parents. Because of my parents, I had the work ethic. Because of my parents, I was a boy scout. I was athletic. You know, because of my parents, I I knew how important school was. So, but when divorce hit, there was nothing else but me and, and the streets. So what am I supposed to do? Not want to delve into prostitution because it, it made me happy. Not want to steal because it made me happy. I look for alternate means to make myself happy, just like my mother looked for alternate means to make her happy. So she was hurting from losing her family. I was hurting from losing my family too. Okay, yeah. I was hurting from not being able to relate to women in relationships aside from sex. That was it. So yeah. that, that's when I went to therapy, that's why I tell people to go to therapy because you have some things that the, the question, they'll ask you questions to make you think about things back to your childhood, not just your, your you know, elementary school, but junior high school and high mm -hmm. school. And so that's where it all came out for me. And so that was your relationship with your mother. Now, when you were sent to live with your father, how was that relationship? It was good. It was scary. It was rocky because from the kindergarten to the sixth grade, we had a great life. In my city, we had we had black kids that were playing tennis. We were swimming. We could roller skate, ice skate. Mm -hmm. We had parades. We had block parties. We, we joined the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. Okay. We had all of that. My mother did the Halloween parties, the birthday parties. We had everything. We had a basketball court in the backyard. When my parents got divorced, that was gone. There was no more swimming pools. I had already known how to swim, but there was no more YMCA's, uh, sports. That was gone. I was still in sports, but I was unhappy. I was broken. I didn't mm -hmm. want to be. I didn't want to be around anymore. You know, the thoughts of suicide kept coming back to me. I had two suicide ideations, ages ten to twelve, because of being molested, because of being raped, because of my uncle touched me so, and because of the divorce. But I'd never follow through with it. But it followed me for the rest of my life. Now moving with my dad, that's when I said, you know what? All right, everything <clears> is over. My parents are divorced. So let me delve into fighting. I learned how to box. We didn't fight. They fought. We fought all the time, but I wasn't a fighter. I could box. I became a womanizer. I became addicted to older women, which stems from my childhood. Okay. And I live with my dad from start at age 12 to I joined the Navy for six years. Still living on the sleeping on the floor. My dad had an apartment for four of us, again, a one bedroom apartment. And I slept on a couch for like two years up until the 10th grade, mm -hmm. from eighth grade to the 10th grade. So I just adjusted to things. So being abnormal was normal to me. Being dysfunctional was normal to me. Not having relationships was normal to me. You know, what, what am I supposed to adjust to that? And I, did, I never had any type of therapy until I was 47. I needed therapy as a six-year-old kid. I did. And so living with my dad, learned how to, like I said, learn how to gamble. We started smoking cigarettes, started smoking weed. You know, we started shooting pool, you know, drinking liquor, uh, snatching purses. Like I said, men, uh, delving into prostitution. I did all of that with my dad. And there were times where I embraced that because moving forward, when I joined the Navy, the Navy was all about, you know, sh being chauvinistic, right? Being macho, being manly. And I fit mm -hmm. right into that. Not caring about women, not caring about hurting people's feelings, making people cry, punching people. That was just, that was my norm. And so mm -hmm. how am I supposed to function in a healthy relationship if I didn't have that? Everything I had as a child mm -hmm. is what I brought into my adulthood. I brought it to my relationships. I brought that into my marriage. That's why women couldn't do anything with me. They couldn't understand me. I, I never told the truth. I always lied. I was always misleading. I was very mm -hmm. dysfunctional. I had a double mind. So moving with my dad was, it made me strong, but it made me strong in the street sense. Okay. okay. It made me strong in being manipulative. It made me strong in lying. It made me strong in, you know, physical, physically, mm -hmm. physically, but it made me strong in not caring. So I blocked a lot of things out. So all my, my, my mental disorder, my mental illness started as a child, plain and simple. There's no way to get around that. You know, I really appreciate your transparency. You are a blessing. And what you're doing right now is a blessing. Because so many young Black men and women are living the same life that you've lived. You know, on the outside, everybody thinks everything is good. You know, yeah, but storm. on the inside. There was a storm going in. And I was able to manage the storm for from age 11 to now, you know, and therapy mm -hmm. helped me just therapy, just like 
broke the storm up in little bitty pieces. But before therapy, there was a tornado or hurricane mm -hmm. tsunami going on inside of me, and I was able to function. That's mm -hmm. why when I was, that's why it was hard for me to to care for people when they cried, or when I hurt a woman's feelings. I'm like, that wasn't nothing. You know, think about what I had to go through. And I, I was always projecting onto other women. If you're not as tough as me, you're not gonna be able to deal with me. But I was, I was making people trying to make people tough, but they couldn't because they had a different upbringing. They didn't understand me. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand the fact that your parents have been married for 35 years. Mine divorced when I was 11. So I was using that as an excuse, but it worked and it didn't work, you know? Yeah. So you mentioned that you were molested. Mm -hmm. How did molestation affect you? So molestation affected me because I started seeing women as just toys, as just objects. Um, every woman that hurt me, I was going to hurt women because of them. So every woman I saw from ages 18 up until f late 40s had my babysitter's face or my cousin's face. You know, every woman that took advantage of me, every, all, all the women that took advantage of me as a child made me think that women will take advantage of me when I get older. And I never let that go. I used it as an excuse to protect my heart because I knew deep down inside I wanted to be with somebody. I wanted to be loving. I wanted to be caring. But it was too scary to be loving and caring. Being hateful, being demonic, being deceitful felt very, very good to me. And that's why I tell, I talk to a lot of men and women and I understand people that are, whether they're narcissistic or not, I understand why they do what they do. But after so long, when you get old enough, you understand that this is wrong. You shouldn't be hurting people, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the molestation, okay, I could have been many things. Because my babysitter took my virginity at eight, I could have been a child molester, okay? But mm -hmm. I'm not, I despise child molesters. Mm -hmm. Because my cousins molested me, I could have been touching little kids, but I'm not. Mm -hmm. I despise that. Um, I despise rapists. Mm -hmm. Because my uncle touched me and would force me to lay on top of him, uh, there was never any penetration. I could have become gay. I'm not. I'm straight. I have gay friends. I have straight friends. I have friends that are in jail, out of jail. Mm -hmm. Out of all the things I could have be become, I became a serial cheater. I became a serial dater, and I fell in love with that. I could have become a murderer because I had plans mm -hmm. to kill my uncle, to use a gun that my mother used to kill my father. She left it in the house. And so I didn't become a murderer. So I said, you know, I do something to get rid of this anger and this angst and all this pinned up aggression. So my thing was to manipulate, control and dominate women as many as I could, as often as I could. So I became a serial dater, a serial cheater. I had a deep lust for women. I had, was very greedy when it came to women. I was very domineering when it came to women because I vowed to never go back to that little little kid that stopped taking baths because of his parents got divorced, stopped brushing his teeth because his, his cousin molested him. Um, I was crying, I cried a lot. I, I was bullied, then I started bullying. So all the negative things felt good to me. Living in a beautiful big home with the car and the kids didn't feel didn't feel good to me at all. I was always running and escaping. My 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 therapist told me told me I was dealing with avoidance issues and escaping. And so I'm like, I feel good to just avoid to walk away. She said, No, Miss Ward, it's not right. So as a 47 year old man, I man, I didn't process what wasn't right, what I was doing to women. I just didn't process it because I didn't care. Wow. You know what? I'm I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about that little boy and the pain and the hurt. You know, I think about my childhood when I was molested as a young girl. And you do go into a different world. You have to, in order for you to keep your sanity. And that's what my therapist told me. She said, you did these things so that you don't, you wouldn't go crazy. Because I was on my way. I could have done anything. I could have been happy with going to jail. I could have been happy with murdering somebody that was bullying somebody. Mm -hmm. I could have been happy with beating the hell out of a pedophile. I would have been happy mm -hmm. doing those things. Mm -hmm. And then losing my career. I could have done those things in the military because I yeah. saw I saw bullies, you know, and it felt good, but I didn't want to lose my career. So I was struggling to, I need to help this person. I need to help that person, mm -hmm. you know? And so, yeah, I was a helper when it came to protecting somebody from mm -hmm. a bully or a pedophile. You know, mm -hmm. I could go right into that. Like, it was like a switch because it was a trigger for me and for my childhood. I despise people like that. Yeah. And you know, um, when you talk about molestation, what about porn? I know a lot of, um, people or a lot of men and women um, can become addicted to porn. Were you addicted to porn? I was addicted to porn. I was addicted to the fantasy of 
um, thinking that I was with a different woman while being with a different woman. I was addicted to the, the body parts. I was addicted to seeing the women um, being dominated. I was addicted to learning about a woman's body parts. And that thing, that right there really affected me because I learned in porn. I, I, I studied porn. I studied the women in porn to hurt the women outside of porn. I studied porn to uh, drive women crazy outside of porn, you know? Mm -hmm. So that stuck with me. I mean, even now, but it was, it stuck with me, my addiction to porn up until my late forties, possibly. Okay. So there was no end to that. Instead, I, until I went through therapy and understand why I was addicted to it, it was like replacing what I wasn't getting at home. What I wasn't mm -hmm. getting at home when I was married is what I didn't deserve for my wife because I cheated. Mm -hmm. So why would I deserve to her deserve for her to want to have sex all the time when she don't know if I'm having sex with somebody else? I already gotten mm -hmm. caught, gotten caught. Mm -hmm. So I, it, it was something that I just like. It was like um, uh, it felt good. It was like a replacement. Mm -hmm. It was a void filler. It, it was something. It was like I needed this to make myself feel good, feel happy. You know, and I, it was a fantasy world for me. It was a fantasy land for me. And and so the the, the addiction to, to that wasn't just like the movie. It was the sounds. It was, you know, watching women, their their, their facial expressions, mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. they wanted, what they did, how they did it. And then the, also the addiction was learning more and more and more how to manipulate a woman by studying and learning her body better than she knew her own body. And so that so it was it was just all part of the manipulation. Yeah, everything, you know, and it's like, and now it really got worse if I met a woman that was addicted to porn just like me. So it was like, oh, mm -hmm. bet we connected here. You know, this is chemistry, mm -hmm. but it wasn't chemistry. It was just, that was a part of a trauma bond, you know? She mm -hmm. was before or raped before, so we had something in common, and then we took it elsewhere, which was porn. I'm, I'm happy you brought up the word trauma bond because a lot of people try to understand trauma bond. But to actually hear from someone who created the bond, can you explain to us what trauma bond is? So we go into a relationship with somebody that, that somebody we have in something we have in common with a person. Divorce, drugs, sex addictions, uh, mental uh, health issues, anger mm -hmm. issues, and we just share ideas and we share stories and we get together and we close with holding each other. And it's like, okay, I know you drink, I know you smoke because we got these issues. So that's our release. Let's drink, let's smoke, and then let's have sex. So it's like, we're not getting any better. We're actually getting worse with the same type of people. Mm -hmm. I wrote in my book, I called that mirrored hell. And so I'm a hell, I'm a hell on wheels and so is she, but we understand that, you know, but there's going to be a lot of jealousy. There could be a lot of fighting. There could be a lot of cursing. There could be a lot of disrespect in that, you know, because then the, there's no trust with two people that are just alike. When there's a trauma bond, because you think she, I think she's doing something, she's thinking I'm doing something. Then now, do we trust each other? No, because of our past. So we're the same type of people. I know you, you know me. That's why I could never date mm. love with a woman that's been diagnosed as a narcissist but untreated. I could never do it. I could never date a person like me. I would never date someone like me because I already know where it's going. It's not going anywhere. You're going to get a lot of hurt. You're going to get a lot of pain. You're going to get a lot of distrust, a lot of lies. And so the trauma bond is connecting on a level that we both can only, only understand. And, and also we blame other people for our hurt and our pain, but we've never mm. been treated. We don't, we haven't gone through therapy. So all we're doing is, is reliving the cycle from our childhood. And in a lot of cases doing that with somebody, it feels good. You know, I come home at two, three in the morning, she gonna say something, she might, she might get up, she might argue, we might have sex. Or I come home at two, three in the morning and she's not there either. She's coming home at two, three in the morning. Like what's wrong with Leon? You did it, so I'm gonna do it, that type of thing. Mm. So it's trauma bonding can be very, very dangerous very toxic, very sick-minded, mm -hmm. and people will stay in a trauma bond for a long time. From what I see, it's a lot of women because that's their comfort zone. Even though it's mm -hmm. hurtful, it's somebody that understands them, but it's not therapy. That person can't give them the answers that they need and tell them why they're running away from their childhood. They can't answer that. They can only you know, be a part of their dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And like I said, mentioned earlier, my dysfunction started feeling good to me. So I know if I'm dysfunctional, she's dysfunctional, I know. I know how good it feels to her when we argue and then drink and didn't have sex. It's a cycle. It's an addiction. We be, we become each other's drug. And I was doing it and I was okay with that because I, I'm not going to commit to you. I'm not going to marry you. We're not going to get engaged. Two people like that, mar married hell people don't even talk about marriage or engagement. They may a little bit, but it's like, ah, 
My parents got divorced. They've been divorced for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Marriage isn't important to me. I was the same way until I met somebody that, you know, parents were still divorced. They had morals and integrity and character. That felt odd to me. I didn't even know how to operate in a relationship like that, which was my mm -hmm. marriage. So did you intentionally go into a trauma bond? Yeah. Trauma bond, okay. is, a, trauma bond is a comfort zone. I was, a, I was addicted to women that were broken like me. Okay. You know, why? because they're the path of least resistance. And they're going to expect much. They're going to expect me to uh, be a man in relationship. They're going to expect me to be a man in the bedroom. They're going to expect me to be a man in the kitchen, around the mm -hmm. house, fixing cars, you know, uh, cleaning the gutters, painting, being a maintenance mm -hmm. man. They're going to expect that. But the Trump outside of that, the low, very low expectations in a trauma bond, very low. We feed each other's, we feed each other's demons, mm -hmm. we feed each other's needs, we fill mm -hmm. each other up. But there's no goals. There's nothing ambitious about that. Only thing that ambitious about a trauma bond is maybe taking sex to another level. Uh, let's try ecstasy. Let's try Percocets. Like let's see how much weed we can smoke. Let's laugh. Let's watch comedy. You know, let's go ahead and do something dangerous. Because we're both comfortable with danger. We're both thrill seekers. Mm -hmm. So that was comfortable with me. But we what I realized that the trauma bonding with women that I trauma bonded with was just killing each other. We make each other unhealthy over and over and over again. And this is now, the cycle. Do the do the woman think it's love? Yeah, because you replacing or giving them what they didn't get from their dad or their ex boyfriend or their ex husband. Mm -hmm. I come in as some somebody totally different. Showing them attention, but then they replace. They think is they replace. They think it's love, but then it's, then you have a person like me that's doing the love bombing. Okay. 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 So to that's them, another that's another term that you know we we need you to yeah. explain to us. Right, and so then it's like, oh, this feels good, man. This is new to me. You know, you show me attention. I never had this. You talk to me. You mm -hmm. um. You stroke my ego. You make me feel good. You, I feel appreciated. I feel different. I feel new. I was really good at that, but I wasn't going to be around that long. So the love bombing comes in from, um, I call it narcissistic people like myself, front runners. A lot of energy and motivation up front, and it's not going to last. It's just to turn you out, to trick you, to have you keep you off balance, off kilter, happy, uh, eyes wide shut type of thing. You know, your mm -hmm. emotions. I know what you like. I know what you were missing. I know what you didn't get from your family. Mm -hmm from your mm -hmm. ex, you know, so I was familiar with all that by asking questions. Mm -hmm. So Leon, how did you see women? How did you see them back then? I saw them as um, my babysitter. I saw them as my cousins. I saw them as easy. I saw them as toys. I saw them as playmates. It wasn't a soulmate, maybe a role mate, but I saw them as somebody just to pass the time with, because I wasn't going to be serious in a relationship. I didn't know how to be in a relationship. So I saw women women as something that could fulfill my needs um, because I'm going to fulfill those, their needs. Uh, but it wasn't for a need to be committed. You know, it wasn't mm -hmm. for a need to be with you for a very long time. And I was, I struggled with that. That's why the empaths always get hurt because they're givers. They're supporters. They build mm -hmm. people up. They take time in a relationship. They expect certain things, but they can't get those things out of me. But I didn't let them know that in the beginning. Everything I'm doing in the beginning is not going to last. It's temporary. Mm -hmm. And so the empaths are going to suffer the most. The people that are committed are going to suffer the most. The people that are genuine are going to suffer the most because I'm not genuine. I'm not committed. And I, don't, I don't know how to be an empath. It's just you understand me and you have the, you have the strength and the ability and the fairness to understand me, but I can't understand you. Why are you so good to me when I'm not going to be good to you? But I never told women that. So that was a part of misleading of me. That was the part that was mis misleading um, to women. And a lot of them left were upset when I left mm -hmm. or didn't know until it was a while after I left, you know, because I was always running. I was afraid to love, to co commit. And so um, the love bombing and all that stuff, the, the trauma bonding is very, as we know, it's very unhealthy. And it doesn't benefit anybody but the narcissistic person or the one that's broken or the one that's unfair or the one that's lying and cheating and run away all the time. That's the only person that it mm -hmm. benefits. Well, guys, I want to just stop at this moment and just tell you guys who we are talking to. This is an amazing interview. This is 
amazing. And I really appreciate you doing this. We have with us tonight, Mr. Leon Walker, and he is a motivational speaker. He's an author, and he is here to help us understand narcissism. And we're understanding it by going back into his early childhood. So he has a platform um, right now on TikTok that is huge. And I want you to share with us, you know, your interaction with the people um, on TikTok, on TikTok, if you can. So my interaction with the people on TikTok, um, my videos are always real, raw, honest, and upfront. It's all about who I was, why I did what I did, um, when I think it happened to me, uh, why I want to help people. I give them clear insight on what not just narcissistic people, but anybody that's self-centered, that's that's egotistical, that's greedy, that's lustful. We all do the same thing, men mm -hmm. and women. There's no difference. I don't care if he's white, if he's Asian, if he's Latin. We do the same type of thing mm -hmm. if they have the personality disorder like I do, um, treated or untreated. And so I engage with them about real stories, um, real lifetime things that happened to me, the, the real things that I've done before the Navy, in the Navy, and after I got out of the Navy. And so I share with them to get them to understand because they have a lot of questions. Why did this person do this? Mm -hmm. Why did he leave me, Leon? Why did she leave me, man? You know, um, why did they ghost me? You know, why did they mm -hmm. give me the silent treatment? What did I do? Why do I feel like I'm going crazy? So I give them everything from their questions and then everything from my experience because I've done everything they possibly that a person can possibly do to another person. I've done it. And so it was hard for me to do this. I started doing this last year, almost a year ago. And it was hard at first because I wanted to be honest, but it was like, man, can you handle what's coming back at you? So there were women mm -hmm. that I really pissed off. There were women that told me I make their skin crawl. You know, I triggered them. I get that. I was getting that a lot. You know, you shouldn't be mm -hmm. on here, social media, telling these stories. It's creepy. You're foul. You're sick. You know, you need to be in jail somewhere. I had, I got, people said a lot of negative things to me, but I understood. And so what, other, what people don't understand, they, hey, man, I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to be vulnerable. That comes with the price. And you got to be willing to pay mm -hmm. that price because I wasn't willing to pay a price when I was doing the, what I was doing to women. When I was cheating and misusing women, I wasn't willing to pay a price. They had to pay a price for what my my babysitters and child and, and and cousins did to me. So all the women that I encountered had to pay some type of price. I didn't trust women, and that's how I saw them. Mm -hmm. It's very untrustworthy, very unfair, and I was scared of women for a long time. So in order to get away from get over to being scared, I had to learn. I had to understand women. I had to study women. You know, so I can hurt you first before you hurt me because I couldn't mm -hmm. take that hurt. I already had the hurt of losing my parents. You know, from the, the divorce, my brother and mm -hmm. sister gone. I'm not going back to that anymore. I, I'm not. I was always uh, peeing in the bed. I, I was, you know, confused a lot. I cried a lot. I didn't have mm -hmm. any confidence, low, low self-esteem. I wasn't going back to that person. So before mm -hmm. I let you hurt me to send me back to that pain, I'm going to hurt you. And so that's how I looked at it. But the people on TikTok, I give them those stories too. You know, mm -hmm. I'm just real. And I don't, I don't expect any sympathy. I don't want to pat on the back. I don't want to hug. I want to help people not meet a Leon. I want to help men not be a Leon. I want to help women not be a Leon. Because trust me when I tell you, I know a lot of men and women that are Leons and mm -hmm. undiagnosed Leons. You know, I, I read some of the comments and people are just so appreciative of what you're doing. Because not everyone is willing to be so transparent right. and to help others. And so, you know, we all have made mistakes in our lives mm -hmm. and that's where forgiveness come in. You know, no, I wasn't a woman on the other end of what you were doing. So I maybe would feel a little different talking to you today, right. but you know, forgiveness, God wants us to forgive. And we also have to understand there's a plan for all our lives. And, you know, I really believe that God is using you at this moment to help others heal because, you know, it's torment to live in a situation where you're constantly confused. You're confused on heart matters. And that is, you know, heart and mind, just not the heart. It's right. the mind and it affects your soul, right. you know. So what you're doing is amazing because you're helping break these curses these demonic spirits that have attached itself to people. Right. And I don't know how, you know, how you feel about demonic spirits, but I, I really believe 
that all of this, you know, disorders, any type of thing that hurts, hurt other people. I think it's Donick. Yeah. So I talk about that in my, my book coming out in July and I'll make sure you get a copy. I will also want to probably do a um, book giveaway on a page, but um, I know that I had one, two, three, four demonic spirits because they were doing to me what you shouldn't do to a kid. Okay. So mm -hmm. somebody did that to them and mm -hmm. somebody did that to them and them and that mm -hmm. generational transmission of family violence was just passed forward. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if my brother was molested. I don't know if my sister was molested, but I was. So the people that did it to me, um, three of them are dead. Two were murdered. One died as an alcoholic. So, wow. Yeah, demonic spirits, I believe in them. Yeah. And I, I believe that it those spirits attached itself to individuals. And like you said, those people in your life had those demonic spirits in them. And they grabbed on to the first innocent little boy that yep. they can find. Yeah. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you went through that. Yeah, you know, for a long time, Bridget, I it didn't, it was like, it's funny because it didn't bother me until I went through therapy. Then it bothered me because I was, I made myself aware. I made myself aware because my therapist told me, you're just suppressing all this stuff. I'm like, well, how do I let it out? And she said, you need to forgive the people that raped you, molested you. I was like, oh, no, I ain't doing that. And I was like, wait a minute. Somebody did something to them. They did something to me. I got upset about it. And then I, I carried on like being dysfunctional, being a cheater, being mm -hmm. a liar. Mm -hmm. I wasn't touching kids. I'm not like that. I'm not a mm -hmm. I've never been that. I despise mm -hmm. that. But I wasn't taking any. Well, I, I, take, I was taking a woman's heart. I did. Mm -hmm. I wasn't raping anybody, but I was taking their heart. I did do that a lot and so by virtue of what they did to me i did to the others in a different form mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i wasn't never inappropriately touching people it was in a relationship but i was breaking the heart so i was taking something from a woman mm -hmm. her heart maybe her shattering her spirit you know so things were taken from me and i was taken from others in a different in a different manner so um the next question i have for you why were you attracted to older women when you so, were young my parents used to have parties every friday and had an older brother that was something happened to him <clears throat> because he was lustful as well. Uh, aside from porn, I, I really want, I was like, man, I want to see some women in real life. Little girls, my age couldn't do anything for me. Right. They had mm -hmm. training bras, little breasts. They didn't nothing. I was like, mm -hmm. something, oh, something's wrong with her. After I saw the women in porn, I'm like, you're undeveloped type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so my parents used to have these parties every Friday night. And the ladies used to come upstairs. We were put in the bedroom to wait to sleep, watch TV. But we used to hear the ladies come upstairs all the time, laughing and tipsy and girl, you know. And my brother's like, man, wouldn't it be cool to see them, see what they do in the bathroom? I was like, yeah, I was like seven or eight. And so mm -hmm. the next Friday, before the next Friday, he drilled a hole in the, hole in the wall and I talk about it in my first book, Broken. It's called The Glory Hole. And so we waited. Every time they come up there, we we hear him come up the stairs. I run to the hole. He runs to the hole. And we were sharing the hole. I'm like, let's just drill another one so we both have two holes. So we drilled another hole two feet down from that hole. And both holes pointed right at the back, at the toilet. And so we made it big enough so we can see the whole bathroom. And so we just sit there. When they come in, it, the hole was... The bathroom is on this side. We're on this side. But there's a piece of tape over the hole. And so they didn't know when they come in, it's behind the bathtub, but we can see the whole bathroom. We just, you know how women, y'all go to the bathroom, you adjust your bras, you might take off your mm -hmm. shirt, take your bra off, mm -hmm. yourself, whatever, put on more lipstick, some perfume, whatever, do your hair. But you also get dressed and use the bathroom. So I've seen, I saw fully developed women at eight, nine, when I was eight, nine years old, and I should have never saw this. So that's what I expected mm -hmm. in women. I saw, you know, how the hair was growing down there and I became addicted to a hairy area down there. And so for what I saw as a child, it, it, it messed me up pretty bad. And so I always wanted that in the women that I dated, either a lot of hair, very voluptuous, top heavy, mm -hmm. big butts. That's what I wanted because that vision as a child that I saw, it, it wouldn't go anywhere. I didn't try to make it go anywhere. I didn't try to get over it. 
I didn't try to get past it because I was like a badge of honor. You know, I mm-hmm. like these older women, you know, I made myself think that they're attracted to me. I'm 12, 13 years old. And so I had my first prostitute at 15 and she was 30 and I didn't see any problem with it. Wow. You have really lived a life, um, a life that a young child shouldn't have gone through, right. you know? And so I just, I really feel for you. And I'm so glad that you have grown up and you're on the other side of it. Yeah, I, I made it through. I'm on the other side of it. And I tell my story, Bridget, to let people know, look, you can talk about this stuff. You don't have to hold it in and keep doing it. You mm-hmm. know, that's why I don't, men say, man, you're giving up the man code. You know, you're giving up the secrets. No, I'm not. I'm talking about Leon. If you're a Leon, then maybe you should listen. If you don't want to listen, then unfollow me, delete my video. I could care less. I don't do this for money. I don't do this for attention. I do this for, to help people. Mm-hmm. I'd be wrong to, to go off in the sunset, die and go to heaven and not tell people what I know about this personality mm-hmm. this, or this disorder or this mental illness or this sickness or this addiction. I need to tell people, you know, I did it too. But yeah. I was able to be successful, but I was also unsuccessful in relationship. This is what's going to happen if you're addicted to porn. This is what's going to happen if you're addicted to women. This is what's going to happen if you hurt women. One day a woman might try to kill you. Men have been through that. Some men have been killed. Some women have mm-hmm. been killed. Mm-hmm. So I'm still here to live and tell my story because there were two women that tried to kill me too. What did your um, your therapist, did she tell you that uh, narcissism, um, there, is there a cure for it? or No, it's not a cure. What you have to do is it's talk it's called talk therapy so there's no pills for this talk therapy understanding what's wrong with you why you do what you do and the way forward moving ahead mm-hmm. talk therapy uh get gaining clarity and awareness and understanding that this is what happens when you do this to your girlfriend or your wife or your kids or your co-workers or for a woman your husband or your boyfriend it hurts it's painful you can so she told me, you never change your personality, but Mr. Walker, you can make some exchanges. And so my exchanges are, I don't do drugs. I never done drugs like in the Navy. And then when I got smoked some weed, did some, uh, what do they call it? Edibles, whatever, made me feel good, bad, different. Mm-hmm. Uh, remove the alcohol, put yourself around better people, healthier people. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that you can learn how to understand other people. Now I, I consider myself a, a great listener, but I use it maliciously. I consider myself a great leader, but it was because I wanted people to like kiss my butt and pat me on the back and, mm-hmm. and put me on a pedestal. And I was fooling myself for many years. Like, man, that ain't me. I don't like that. I loved every minute of it, you know? Mm-hmm. But being around people that are humble, I, mm-hmm. I started going to Bible study a couple of weeks ago. I go off and on, but learning the Bible more, understanding God, understanding religion, understanding spirituality more, mm-hmm. understanding myself, understanding my parents, what was passed down to me. So yeah, it's, it's you can make some exchange. You never change, mm-hmm. but you can make some exchanges in the life that you live. You know, my therapist told me you need to stop dating for a while. I was like, ah, oh, that's like, I was fiending for women. I'm like, stop dating. I mean, what? like, don't sleep with them. Don't, don't nothing. Leave them alone. Leave women alone for a long time, for a while, Leon, just stay out of relationships. Right. And she was right because when, when I did that, it was like it helped me out. It gave me more peace, mm-hmm. gave me mm-hmm. more time to myself. I started thinking about my past. I started thinking about why women, you know, don't call me anymore, don't want to be around me anymore. I was really sick. I made women want to kill me, you know? And then mm-hmm. you walk away like, whatever, you don't do nothing to me and go to the next woman and carried on like that for a long time. And so therapy is, you have to go. It's therapeutic. You have to get help. Mm-hmm. You have to realize that you're hurting people, your husband, wife, your kids, your family members, your friends. And a lot of people just going through life like, you know, why should I change? Me, mm-hmm. I was getting awarded, rewarded. I was getting promoted. I was getting mm-hmm. jobs. You know, I was getting trophies, all this stuff. I'm like, change for what? Ain't nothing wrong with me. It can't be anything wrong with me. I'm successful. Mm-hmm. I wasn't successful. Not in relationships. Well, you know, um, I really um, like the fact that you are um, attending Bible study. And mm-hmm. because it's the renewing of your mind. It's the renewing yeah. of your mind. Right. Yeah, the rewiring in my mind. And mm-hmm. uh, I started reading a book called um, Who Turned On My Brain, Who Turned Off My Brain by Dr. Brian Leaf. I read it a few years ago and I was like, wow, it's pretty eye opening. It's really good stuff. It's easy to read. It's not a thick book. Mm-hmm. And so 
I thought about, you know, regenerating old blood cells uh, by having positive thoughts and, you know, mm-hmm. think about what passed down in me, the old blood cells, the old negativity is still in me. I got to rethink that and do different things and do better and mm-hmm. not do this, not do that and not get angry, angry so quick, have patience, be mm-hmm. willing to listen more, uh, be, be okay with being wrong. For many years, I was the opposite of all of that. Mm-hmm. So it's a journey. It's a journey. Mm-hmm. And but we are our brains are capable of making new cells. You know yeah. that mm-hmm. yeah. so we can we can. It's it's up to us. It's up to us to want to change because we can. God has made us that way. Right. You know, he's made us um, to have the ability to do better and to grow. Yeah. And so that's what you're doing. And I'm really excited about I that. am. And so tell me this what what is your relationship right now with women from the past have you ever had an opportunity to speak with those women yeah why the one girlfriend from 92 from 86 92 i really destroyed her um in 1992 um but i spoke to her last year as a matter of fact and it had been like 10 years since I last spoke to her and then another 10 years before that. So it was good to hear her voice. You know, she's like, Leon, we were so loving and caring. And I was like, but you have no idea what I was doing. You know, I was all, so I was very covert, you know? So people thought certain things about me and I'm like, you have no idea. And I was okay for them thinking that way, uh, put me up here when I really wasn't all about their life. Mm -hmm. But um, I spoke to her, um, my ex-girlfriend from 2014, I spoke to her. I even spoke to a couple of sailors that I led that I, I abused, verbally abused. I spoke to them too. So that's it's a part of the journey. People can come back mm-hmm. from that's gone, that's been gone 10, 15 years. They can come back and say, hey man, I remember you said this or did that. You know, why did you do me like that? Or women say, hey Leon, you know, I remember, you know, I couldn't never trust you. You know, you lied to me about all these other females. Why did you do me like that? So the males that I verbally abused are starting to come around and talk to me. Uh, the female but some probably never will because i probably heard them too bad you know i understand yeah. that but to see that people do still have some type of hope in me you know getting mm-hmm. better makes me feel good now was there anyone in your past that you um really cared about or is it a narcissist the care wasn't there it so was- it was like the i've always had attractions <laughs> you know okay i can't honestly say the care and it's embarrassing to say that because they they were to hear this, they'd be like, really, Leon? I'm like, look, yeah. It was always attraction, but the care, because how could I could how could I care if I'm gonna be if I'm a cheat? You know, yeah. how could I care? Yeah. You don't cheat on people you care about, you don't cheat, you don't cheat on, people, cheat on people you love. So my thing was an attraction to her lips, her her skin, her breasts, her butt. You know, I like those things, and so mm-hmm. that was good enough for me. It wasn't about loving and caring. I didn't want them to leave me, but I was going to leave them. I couldn't take the pain of somebody else walking away like my family did. So I had to always be ready for that. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was for me, it was a deep attraction to things that they had, you know, body parts and personality too, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I really appreciate you um, telling us about, you know, that experience for you. So you mentioned your uncle. Um, how did he affect you as far as anger you you said something about he was one of the molesters yeah so he would always put us so when we were my parents would be gone my brother sister would be gone some kind of way he's very strategic about coming over when nobody's there but me and he just started he would like come upstairs i go upstairs i'm like huh what's up he would put vaseline on his hand and put his hands in my pants and this didn't come to me until therapy i had suppressed it blocked it out because i'm like that's no that's just uh, it's wrong but mm-hmm. i didn't do anything about it and so i felt like he was he was taking advantage of me mm-hmm. you know he's a bully he used to do things to me physical things like throw these things into my face i was when i'm standing outside they stick to my face and my brother would be there watching and i'm crying my mother would have to pull him out of my face and wipe me down with alcohol and vaseline but it, I was always wanting to like fight somebody and hurt somebody because of him. I wound up becoming a bully too to my sister and the kids in the neighborhood um, until I was bullied one day, didn't like it. But he would always violate me, put his hands in my pants and like grab me and choke me and, you know, get on my back, boy, you know, 
take your pants down. He would take his pants down, but I never took mine down. And he would just put his hands in my pants and take them back out and put more Vaseline and put his hands in my pants. And, you know, I was, it really messed me up because at that point I said, I'll be okay with killing him. But somebody else killed him before I did. I had plans to kill him. When I turned 12, I had my mother's gun. I found her gun. And I used to get it and, like, practice in the mirror, put the bullets in, put the barrel in, and practice. I could have fired it off at any given time. I could have put it to my head, and I did that. Actually, I put it in my mouth one time. But he never came in the backyard. I would sit on the back porch with the gun because he pulled up in the driveway. And I'm like, as soon as he come around that corner, nobody's here because I know he's going to be like, get, your, get upstairs, you know. Pow, I'm going to let him have it. But somebody murdered him, uh, shot, blew his head off, shot him in the mouth with a shotgun. And that was it. You know, we talked about this interview and we said how important this interview would be. I didn't realize how deep it would be <laughs> and how heavy this yeah, is. It's, it's a lot, Bridget. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a whole lot. Because as you're speaking, I'm replaying things in my mind of, you know, of times past. So, wow. I didn't think I would be affected like I am. And it's important. It's important. Very important. I mean, people need to know that it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to get it out. Because a lot of people are acting it out in their relationships. The anger, the dysfunction, the mistreatment. You know, they're acting out. Um, and it's a lot of them are okay with it because I was okay with being angry in my relationship. So I understand that, but you can't go on living a life like that. So what has therapy unearthed for you? Therapy unearthed, um, that I needed to forgive my perpetrators. I need to forgive myself. I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to not be so angry with things. I need, need not to hold on to things. A lot of times I was creating things in my mind that wasn't there that wouldn't happen but i would create in my mind because i had a fear of certain things um it 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 unearthed it opened up um why i was addicted to porn why i was addicted to being verbally abusive because those things felt good to me it was like something that made me feel better about myself as opposed to my military career i needed more uh, i was the awards and rewards wasn't enough i was still empty on the inside because i was angry on the inside because I wanted revenge on the inside. So that's why I was very vindictive and manipulative. It all came about because of my childhood. And so I was putting that on to other people to make myself feel good. So I had a false sense of security. You know, I had created this guy that was really successful in the military, mm -hmm. but I was successful because I had work ethic. I wasn't the, the, the moral guy that they saw. I wasn't the down to earth guy that they saw. I was just, it was just an act because I had to live this life that I had built up to. I had to live this life that I had got promoted to. And so mm -hmm. I was a big facade for many years. I wasn't real. When did you know you were abused? At 47 years old, 2014 or so when I was in, in therapy. And she looked at me, she said, do you realize you were abused? I was like, no, how, how was I abused, <laughs> right? I had no idea. And I think there's a lot of men and women out here that I could say the same thing to them and they'll go, wow, you know, did you realize you were neglected, Leon? I shouldn't have been sleeping on the floor for from the kindergarten to the seventh grade. I had a bed, but I couldn't stay in the bed because I pee on it. We had a bunk bed and the pee would drip down to my brother. All to the floor you go on a piece of carpet, peed on the carpet so much my father had to saw it off the floor because it's stuck. All right, we'll get you another bed. All right, all to the floor you go. So I'm like, this is where I'm gonna be on the floor, you know, until we moved and I was sleeping on the floor again and peeing on the floor again and smelling the house up. It's like having a pissy dog around the house. That was me. So yeah, I learned that I was abused at age 47. Prior to that, never talked about it, was never mentioned. Even my first therapist I saw in 1987, I was 21 years old. He didn't talk about, he did, but he didn't say that I was abused. He didn't, I would not have been able to handle that then. Cause I always thought that I was a strong, powerful, mm -hmm. manly young man, but I was abused. So I was verbally abusing, mentally abusing other people. And it felt yeah. good to me. 
So how is your relationship with women now? Much better. Um, the respect is there. I understand myself more. I don't want to get angry. I don't want to see women cry. Before I saw women cry, I was like, it did two things. It turned me on or made me angry. There was no in between. One or the other was going to happen. Depend on how she received me when I went to hug her while she was crying. If she pushed me away, anger. If she held me, it went from her crying to us having sex. I didn't process her crying and stuff as it, like something was really wrong with her. I wanted to get past that and get what I wanted from her. But I see women as very strong, very powerful. I uh, respect them. I know they're not going to hurt me. Um, I don't see a lot of women. It's like, well, how, why should we trust you now? I get it. You shouldn't trust mm -hmm. me. I understand that this is what I get. This is what I have to deal with. I understand that you don't trust me, but you can get, get to trust me. But I have to be on this path and continue telling my story and living the right way. And so mm -hmm. I understand that I trigger women. I understand that women are afraid of me, you know, based on what I'm saying. Oh, I'm over that. I'm past that. I really am. I don't have the heart or nerve to do what I did anymore. Before, when I was doing it, when I was shuffling three, four, five women around, I had the heart and the nerve to do it. I didn't fear getting caught. I didn't fear any of that. It was like, so too bad. What you going to do? Stay with me or leave me? I'm out, Leon. Okay, I'll just replace you, you know? So I was quick doing that, quick. Because I didn't want those emotions coming up, those feelings. I didn't want to deal with it. So I would, like, bounce it off me. I would deflect and immediately go find somebody else to replace her if she walked away. Because I knew there was a time where she would never come back. And I was like, let me find somebody. And a lot of times when I find women like that, one that left, I would find somebody that looked just like her, or close to her. So to me, it wasn't a loss. It was kind of weird to think that way, but that's how I thought. So I have the utmost respect for women now. I want to live a life of being respect, respectful man. Like there was some respectful men in my family. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to. My father was very monogamous. He was. I wasn't monogamous. I became promiscuous. It was a choice of mine based on what happened to me. Okay, I get it. But I made that choice to be promiscuous because mm -hmm. in the military, the more women you have, the more popular you are. The more you drink, the more popular you are. The more money you have, the more popular you are. The more trash you talk, the more popular you are. I was all about being popular. So being monogamous was far-fetched for me. The promiscuity is what really resonated with me. Okay. So what are you looking for um, in a in a woman? I'm looking for a right woman now. fair, that's honest. The things that I didn't want or care about before is what I what I want <laughs> now, you know. I like to laugh. I like to exercise. I don't have to. I'm not like a workout monster, but I like for her to want to go for walks or maybe jog, or if she likes to ride a bike or roller skate, anything. Mm -hmm. um, learning how to cook better, doing things in the kitchen together, traveling together, laughing, being very trustworthy. You're not being mm -hmm. like not smothering me. I'm not gonna smother her. You know that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Don't hold my past against me. I want you hold hold your past against you. I just want a chemistry. I want chemistry. I want completeness. You know. I want to. I want someone that's that i'm compatible with mm -hmm. you know somebody i want a simple relationship relations don't have to be businesses don't have to be like a business don't have to be hard mm -hmm. i just want to have a nice healthy fun enjoyable relatable relationship well i'm gonna pray that for you you know i'm gonna pray that god send the right woman into your life because you deserve it thank you and yeah you you deserve it you deserve it and and i'm just so happy that you've been with us on tonight and i want you to uh tell us how we can follow you okay you can follow me um i'm on instagram as leon r walker jr or leon r walker i'm on facebook as leon r walker um youtube channel is leon r walker um TikTok, leon r walker jr i believe uh google i'm in google too my books are there my stories there, my retirement there, um, some news clippings of me in, in Google. So Google has everything. But Leanna Walker Jr., you find me on everywhere and LinkedIn as well. And, you know, people looking for me to speak to their youth. I do youth youth groups. I talk to youth about motivation, um, uh, mindset, over, mm -hmm. overcoming uh, boundaries and obstacles, building confidence, building self-esteem, mm -hmm. getting over your past, dealing mm -hmm. with anger issues. I do all of that. I just so happened to start talking about narcissism last year, but I talk about relationships as well. But I'm really big on helping the youth develop, help develop the youth, about not being mad at your parents, not mm -hmm. fighting your siblings. I do a whole bunch of stuff with youth. I've been talking to youth for many, 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 many years. And you and I spoke earlier today that we would have people that are watching tonight who are going to be set free 
from the bounds, the the ties that bound them. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about you also offering relationship coaching. So um, how can they reach out to you for relationship coaching? Yeah, my website is www.leonrobertwalkerjr.com. I check all the emails that come from my, my website. I respond. I set up dates and times to talk for mentoring, coaching, visiting high schools, visiting colleges. So through my website, um, through TikTok, through Instagram, DMs, I answer all of this. It's a lot, but I it's me. I'm just a one-man show. So it may take me a day or two to get back to you, but I get back to everybody. Well, I really appreciate you, and you have done an amazing job, and you are to be commended for what you're doing. I know you have had great success in the Navy, but what you're doing to help people is another great, great success. And so thank you so much for being with us on Morning Soul Shine with Bridget. And we will talk to you on next week. Thank you so much, Leon. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.